Many of you are likely to recognize Spencer Hutchins. Spencer has been a part of this church almost as long as I have. He came when he was about that big. Spencer is, uh, obviously serves in our worship uh, team uh, first service. He is an elder on our session uh, right now. But I invited him up to pray for him today for a couple of reasons. First of all, sadly, he heard today that he has just lost his um, uncle, an uh, uncle that, to, with whom he was very, very close. And so we grieve that loss with you. Uh, I also wanted to pray for him because tomorrow he uh, begins work as our representative in the state House of Representatives, representing our district. It is one thing to moan and kvetch about the circumstances in our state and in our nation. It is another when you step up and say, I'm available, I'm willing, if the Lord wills it. And apparently the Lord wills it. And so I know that he would covet our prayers, not only today, but throughout his, uh, his work in the state legislature. Uh, so would you join me in reaching out to Spencer and asking God's Spirit to rest upon him in a very powerful way. Father, we are very proud of this man, and we thank you for him. I thank you for him, for decades of friendship and relationship and ministry. I pray for him in the loss of his uncle. I know what a tender relationship those intergenerational roles can play, and so I pray for him in his loss and in his mourning. And Holy Spirit, we pray your anointing upon him as tomorrow he begins this work of helping to lead this state. He steps, Lord, into a, a divided Congress and in a very rancorous time where it is easy for people to assume the worst, speak ill of, uh, cut one another down. God, I, I know that he is a man of principle and he will stand by his principles, but I pray that the way he does so will be so remarkably refreshing that everyone around him who does not know you will be drawn to you because of his witness. So give him the grace, the peace, the mercy, the wisdom to step into a hard and demanding situation. And we thank you for him being willing to do that, God, for we need more and more of your people who are ready to step up and say, here, I'm, here am I, send me. He said that, and you've said yes. And so for that, we give you praise, and we pray that you would anoint him in power this day and in the days and weeks and months to come. And all of God's people said this, amen. Bless you. Thank you. Well, that's a fun start to our new year, but I, and I hope your uh, start to a new year has been as good as mine was. Here's what I was doing on January 1st of 2023. I was baptizing my granddaughter, Cece, and that was the best. It was so sweet. It is a bit of a bummer, however, when the high point of your year, your likely high point takes place on the very first day of the year. But I'm just going to count this as God's down payment on a year that's going to be full of His power and His favor upon me and our family, but upon this entire church family. So I indeed wish you God's very best in the year of our Lord, 2023. Amazing. 
We pick up our journey through the Gospel of Luke where we left off before we started on Advent, the the Christmas account uh, in the early parts of Luke. We left, uh, last time we saw Jesus before Advent, He was preaching, He was teaching on what Luke, we call the Sermon on the Plain, similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, only it took place on a flat spot, and it's probably a different occasion, uh, but it's a very powerful passage, and we are trying to make our way through that. And so I'm going to read through another section of that this morning, and I want you to listen carefully, as I know you always do, because contained in this passage is, in my estimation, the summation of the one verse that makes Jesus' teaching unique. It is a singular expression that you will find nowhere else. I want you to see if you can spot it, and you better be paying attention because there will be a a test after the reading. So, we turn to Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27, Jesus continuing in His Sermon on the Plain. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them." If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, uh, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. It's a hard word. So, did you spot it? Did you uh, spot that quintessentially Christian verse that I referenced before the reading. Perhaps you would turn your attention to verse 31. Did you hear that one? As you wish others would do to you, so do to them. Recognize that? What do we call that? The golden rule. The golden rule. Although we know it better through King Jimmy's version. It goes like this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And of course, it's a powerful teaching, isn't it? Other religions have something like this. Judaism and Buddhism and Islam, they have something similar. But interestingly, it's almost always taught in the negative. Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Do not do to others what you would rather they not do to you. you, There's a name for that one too. Do you know what they call that rule? The silver rule. The silver rule. Truly, uh, Theologians have called to that over the, over the century. And of course, we would say silver is valuable, but gold is more valuable. It is easier to not do bad things that you don't want done to you. And, and, it's, and it's clearer. I mean, I know whether or not I've done a bad thing. I, I, I've either slapped someone or I didn't. 
I've either cheated someone or I didn't. I've either cursed someone out or I didn't. And so it's pretty clear, isn't it, and pretty easy. But Jesus asks for more in his unique take on this. He asks us to do, not to not do. I know, a little confusing, but when, when do you ever do enough? I can choose to not say nasty things about someone. That would be the silver rule. But I, if I choose to speak encouraging things about someone, then the question is, am I ever done? Is there ever a point where I say, okay, I've been encouraging enough, I don't want to encourage anymore? And of course not. That's why the golden rule is golden. It's harder. It's more demanding. It has no end. It, you're never going to be done doing good. So Jesus' version of this ancient teaching is powerful and compelling, isn't it? And it's not the core Christian teaching. If that was your answer, you're wrong. It's not the core Christian teaching. Why? Because the golden rule is ultimately self-serving. I treat others how? The way I want them to treat me. It is about me. That personal benefit is the motivation and the measure of what we call the golden rule. It's a wonderful way to live. It's mutually beneficial. It's really wise, but it is not the singular Christian teaching. The summation, in my opinion, of Christianity might be found in verse 27. Are you ready for it? Here we go, three words. Love your enemies. Say that with me. Love your... In fact, he says it twice in this teaching. This is the first time that the word love appears in Luke's gospel. Interestingly, the very first time that Jesus mentions love in Luke's gospel, it isn't love God with everything you have. It isn't love your neighbor it isn't love your family. It isn't love your nation, love your people. The first time love leaves Jesus' lips in Luke's gospel, it is love your enemy. I find that astounding. There's nothing self-serving about that. It's not love your enemy until they might, so that they might love you back. No, the outrageous thing that Jesus demands is the ultimately Christian teaching of Jesus is love your enemy enemy. As I said, there are a lot of religions who offer some version of the golden rule, but no one, no one, no one ever taught anything like this before Jesus came along. We can find no record of it. Ancient philosophers sometimes would suggest benevolence towards one's enemies, might perhaps pardon or forgiveness, but never love. And even Jewish teaching, Jesus' background, nowhere does Jewish teaching contain love for enemy. In fact, it would have been considered, it would have been considered outrageous by Jesus' listeners that day on the plane. But I'm not sure we comprehend, comprehend how outrageous it would have felt like to them. I want us to understand the context a little better to realize how really radical this was, this request, this demand that Jesus was making of them. Because I want you to remember this. Jesus' listeners were living in occupied territory. Their land had been invaded a century earlier. 
These invaders could enter your house at will. They could take their property without recourse. They could assault their family without consequence. They could compel them to serve without compensation. These people, his listeners, were at their mercy, and those invaders had very little in the way of mercy. When Jesus said, love your enemies, you might as well just plug in the word Romans. Love the Romans. That's what he was saying. Love these Romans who have occupied your country for a hundred years. Love these Romans who have pilfered your treasury, desecrated your holy places, stolen your property, raped your women. Love these brutes who gaze upon you with undisguised contempt. These intruders who have stolen four generations of freedom from you, who have impoverished you, who have made your life miserable. These foreigners that you love to hate? No. I want you to love them. We don't live in occupied territory. (laughs) Not yet, anyway. But we still have enemies, don't we? Is there someone who comes to mind when... That word is spoken here. What, who comes to mind for you? Someone who has harmed you. Someone who has slandered you. Someone who has robbed you or done you dirt. A mean ex, maybe. A bully at school or a bully at work who supervises you. Our enemies may not occupy our cities or our homes, but they occupy our thoughts They take residence in our nightmares, and that's bad enough. That is outrageous enough. And Jesus says, I want you to love those enemies. I should add at this point, I think, that Jesus is not talking here about governments or about police or about military. Elsewhere in the New Testament, even in Jesus' own teachings, it is clear that governments are put in place to protect its people and to punish evildoers. A concept that our nation seems to be struggling with right now, by the way. Now, Jesus is talking to individuals. He's saying to you, and 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 to you. Love your enemies. And man, is that asking a lot. If the person that comes to your mind is the same as the person that comes to my mind, as far as the passion of it, that is asking a lot. So how in the world do we do such a thing? How can we comply? How is this even possible? I think our text reveals several principles that will help us to take Jesus seriously. What kind of outrageous love loves an enemy? Well, first of all, it is volitional love, not emotional. It is volitional, not emotional emotional. What do I mean by that? You're such great, great Greek scholars, I know all of you would realize that there are several Greek words for the English word love. There's eros, from which we get erotic, which means sexual love. There is phileo, from which we get Philadelphia, which means brotherly love or family love. And if these were the only two love choices that we had, When Jesus commanded us to love our enemy, it would have been outrageous, if not grotesque. Obviously, we have no erotic love for our enemy, and we certainly have no warm affection for our enemy, but that is not what he asks. 
For Jesus uses a different word, a word that you are familiar with. The Greek word for love is agape. And that's the word he uses here. Agape is a verb. It is not a noun. Agape is action love. Agape has nothing to do with feelings or emotions and everything to do with our will, with our volition. When mommy gets up in the middle of the night to go change that dirty diaper and feed that newborn, that is agape love. It is all about action. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't feel like doing it. In fact, he felt like not doing it, if you will recall his prayer in Gethsemane, but agape drove him to do it anyway. Jesus isn't asking us to like our enemies or to have warm, fuzzy feelings toward our enemies. He isn't asking us to return to abusive relationships either, but he is commanding us to love them. So how do we do that? Well, he gives us quite a good starting list. Here's some examples of ways that we can obey his call to love. We can do good to those who hate us. We can bless those who persecute you. You can pray for those who mistreat you. Don't retaliate against those who harm you. Offer even more to the one who takes advantage of you. Give generously to someone who may not pay you back. Forgive someone who does not deserve to be forgiven. Those are those are some powerful, action-oriented, verbal phrases that give you some good ideas about how to love your enemy. Do good, bless, pray, give, give generously, forgive, forgive generously. Agape demands that you do not what you feel like doing, but often precisely what you do not feel like doing. Like turn the other cheek. Any of you ever tried that one on for size? It's not that fun. I've shared this story before, but it's apt. One evening back in the 80s when I was an assistant pastor in First Presbyterian Church, Bakersfield, I, had a, I came in late to a Christian Education Committee meeting. And I was late because I was attending another committee that I, my job required me to attend in another part of the building. So when I walked in the door, one of the elders, a guy who really did not like me very much, he complained about my tardiness quite loudly. And, and I kind of smart-mouthed back, well, if you get me off of that other committee, I'll be on time for this one every time we meet. And my insolence so infuriated this man that he stood up, leaned across the table, and slapped me on the face. And he slapped me so hard that they heard it in the next room over. It took all the control I had not to strike back. I was younger then, I was fitter then, I had a black belt in karate, and it was very tempting. But the spirit restrained me, and I just walked out of the room and walked out of the building. As angry as I was, I did not retaliate that night, or even later when I was urged to file church charges against him for this strike. Of course, I didn't exactly offer my other cheek to him as well, so it doesn't quite fit, but it's, you kind of get the, at least I, I didn't let him drop there. However ill your feelings are toward your enemy, you can choose not to retaliate. You can choose to be kind. You can cho choose to speak well of them who malign you, or you can choose to remain silent if you can't find a good word to say. 
You can choose to send a note of appreciation even though you are a subject of their incessant criticism. You can choose not to strike back, not to file a lawsuit. You can even choose to forgive. Remember, forgiveness is not primarily for the person's benefit. Primarily, forgiveness is for you. It's about removing the shackles of bitterness that bind you, removing the control that they retain over your life. What you feel toward your enemy is not the point of agape. What you do, despite what may be perfectly appropriate feelings, is the point. Loving your enemy is about what you do. It's not about what you feel. It is volitional. It is not emotional. Here's another principle that defines outrageous love. It is unilateral, not reciprocal. It is unilateral. It is not reciprocal. If we are to love our enemies, we must, must do so with a, a divinely inspired indifference to their response. We cannot care how they respond. If you are praying for or forgiving or treating someone kindly because you're expecting to change your enemy, if you're keeping an eye out for how they turn toward you and it doesn't come, you will be disappointed. Agape does not work that way. It is not quid pro quo. Jesus says, I want you to love and do good and bless and pray for and give to and forgive your enemies without a thought of whether or not they'll do anything nice in return. And you need to see how important this is. If you act in hope of receiving something in return, you're only going to drive yourself into deeper bondage. If they do not respond to your kindness as you had hoped, you're going to end up having more despair and more disappointment, more heartache or anger. If on the other hand you can offer acts of kindness freely with no expectation, no strings attached, they cannot disappoint you anymore. They cannot control you anymore. In fact, in a sense, you gain control. You now have control because you have decided to love and to act kindly towards them and there's nothing they can do about it. They're utterly out of control. It is the ultimate control. And you might feel some real freedom in that. And frankly, as a nice little benefit, it'll drive them crazy. You probably shouldn't think that way, but it, it will drive them a little bit crazy. Let's admit it. So outrageous love, it is, it is volitional, it's not emotional, it is unilateral, it is not reciprocal, and finally, it is impossible. Outrageous enemy love, it's impossible. We can't do it. Our sinful human self is so steeped in the juices of self-preservation and self-promotion that it is impossible for us to love and pray for and bless and forgive our enemies. It's just not in us. I'll confess that when I watch accounts of the horrible things that are done by horrible people, I go all Old Testament inside. I mean, I, I want vengeance. I, I want justice. This thing that Jesus asks of me to love people I want to hate, who, to love people who hate me, it is impossible in my own strength. That's a good thing. I don't have to do it in my own strength, isn't it? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the words of the Apostle Paul. I do not have it in my spirit to respond lovingly to my enemies, but Jesus 
has it in His Spirit to do so, and His Spirit now lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The answer here, as in every other aspect of our Christian journey, is utter surrender to admit, Lord, I cannot do this. I don't want to do this. I don't even want to want to do this. But you are Lord, and so I surrender to you. And you will have to do this work in me and through me. To love one's enemy is an act of utter grace. That is the greatest of Christian words, I think. Utter grace. Grace. Remember, the grace, grace is a, a pouring out of blessing upon those who deserve contempt. We are saved not because God looked down upon us and saw what great souls we are. We are saved despite our absolute corruption because God still loved us and wanted to redeem us out of His grace. And we know the power of that grace because Jesus exemplified it. I think that these three words could well be Jesus' mission statement. Love your enemy. What do you think? I think love your enemy could be Jesus' mission statement. It sums up what Jesus came to do. He loved, so loved the world, He came to save this world. And He did it on the cross. Jesus was despised by His enemies, yet He stretched out His arms in love. Jesus was cursed by his enemies, but he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' cloak was torn from his body. His flesh was torn from his back. They slapped him on his cheek. He offered him, them the other cheek. And then his hands and his feet and his head and his side. Jesus had the authority to judge, but judged not. He had the authority to condemn, but forgave instead. Jesus paid a debt that we could never repay and asked us in return only that we would love. So when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, pray for those who mistreat us, offer the other cheek to one who slaps us, offer more to one who has already stolen from us, love us, those who never love us, give to those who will never repay us, forgive those who deserve our condemnation. He knows what he's talking about because that's exactly what he did for you and for me. And he knows we can do it because if he lives within his, in us, his spirit can accomplish through us what our sinful, selfish soul never could. There's a postscript to the story about that elder who slapped me that night in Bakersfield. Years later, he appeared at Chapel Hill when we were worshiping over in the chapel on a Sunday morning. And after church, he walked up to me, and I cowered. <laughs> Not really. He walked up and he asked if he could come over to our house. Well, that was unexpected. So I offered him lunch and he came and joined us for lunch. And afterwards he said, can we, can we go outside? And so we went out on my porch and, and suddenly he just broke down and began to weep. He said, I have never been more ashamed of myself than... than and at that point he, he began to sob. He just broke down. And I said, I know. I forgive you. I have already forgiven you, actually. And he wrapped me in a bear hug that soaked my shoulder with tears. 
The same Holy Spirit who stayed my hand that night and softened my heart toward Him had continued working in His heart for 20 years. And He brought us to a, a wonderful moment of reconciliation. So, who is your person? Who is your enemy? Do, do you have someone in mind? What is the Spirit calling you to do about it? What, if agape love were to take over, the Spirit of Christ were to take over you, what is He calling you to do? You might be astounded to see God at work, just as I was that day. So we're going to close in a time of prayer, and I'm going to invite you to do the hard work of bringing one person to mind and then asking the Spirit to tell you what next step of love, of agape, you might extend to that person. So join me in prayer. When you hear the word enemy, when you think of the person that has done you dirt, cheated you, bullied you, betrayed you, perhaps abused you, is there one person that comes to mind? This is a horribly hard thing, an impossibly hard thing that Jesus asks of us. But he said, I want you to love that person. I want you to pray for them. I want you to speak well of them. I want you to not retaliate. I want you to extend kindness that can only happen by the power of the Spirit within us. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that your Spirit would continue the work that you have begun as we listen to your word this day and to this impossibly hard demand that you place upon us. We are reminded that it is only what you have already done for us. You came to this earth because you loved we who were your enemies. And so that person that comes to, to mind, Holy Spirit, would you, would you put in our heart the first thing we might do, the one thing that we might do, not because we feel like doing it, but because we are going to obey you, not because we expect that they're going to suddenly turn around because of this act, but simply because it is the right thing to do. Would you give us the courage to reach out in kindness towards those who are utterly unkind? And in so doing, may the witness of our gracious Jesus be proclaimed in new and powerful ways. For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.